Good evening, church. So thankful to see you here tonight, each and every one of you, and thankful for this opportunity to bring uh, the Word of God. We'll talk tonight about an unpopular promise, but it is a promise. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we love you, we, we praise you, we thank you, we ask for your blessings upon us, that you will strengthen our hearts, Lord God, and get us ready for the week to come, and just for even the very moment that's going to come our way this evening. Prepare us, Lord God, to fight the good fight of faith and stay faithful and true to you throughout this, this upcoming week. We pray that uh, tonight's worship, there'll be something said to encourage us and uh, keep us going in our relationship with you. Thank you for Jesus, your great son, and that amazing sacrifice made, that was made in our behalf. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray these things. Be thy will. Amen. There are lots of promises in the Bible. Um, we, we, we love to relish on them. Most of them we think about and we go, man, these are great promises from God. And because of these great promises from God, this gives me the encouragement and strength to continue to fight the good fight of faith. But tonight I want to talk about an unpopular promise, but a promise indeed. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the verses 12, the Bible speaks of, of all the difficult times that are coming. And, and then we look and behold, we kind of say to ourselves, based on the text, those, that time is, is here. Been here for a while. And it says, and indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise, right? Matthew, please, chapter, chapter 10. And it's stated in, in a few passages. And I want to look at the uh, unpopular promise tonight, but I also want to look at the blessing that comes with it. Matthew, chapter 10, beginning at verse 22. And you will be hated by all on account of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But when, uh, whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he becomes like his teacher and the slave as his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household relationship, right? The relationship that we have with Jesus is the relationship that's similar to the world. Mark chapter 10. What they did to him, he says, they will do to you. If you desire to live godly, if you choose Jesus, you're choosing in a way, you're choosing persecution for his sake. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 28. Peter began to say to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left houses of brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much. Now in the present age, houses, thank you, Lord, and brothers, wonderful, and sisters, it's awesome, and mothers, thank you, God, and children and farms, but it's that last part, along with persecutions, 
and the age to come, eternal life. Persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. A hundred times you're going to receive this, but it's a blessing, isn't it? Is it? First Peter chapter 4. Suffering should not be a strange thing for a child of God. Someone says, well, I, I'm a child of God, and, and I, I've never suffered. Have you made yourself distinguishable from a child of God to, to the world? We live in an ungodly world, and if we can recognize that we live in an ungodly world, and remember that we're strangers in this place, it becomes obvious and evident that we don't belong. 1 Peter 4 and the verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you by which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. It shouldn't be a surprise to you. But the world is surprised. I love God's rhetorical questions. Job chapter 1. God asks rhetorical questions time and time again. And we look at Job, we open up in chapter 1, and there's this, this rhetorical question that God asks of Satan. Verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? And Satan answered, Lord, from, from roaming on the earth and walking around on it. Now, did God not know what he's been up to and where he's been? It's like God was talking to Adam, and he says to Adam, Hey, you know, where are you? They weren't playing hide and seek. We know that. It was a, a rhetorical question. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That is a rhetorical question. Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. Well, God is asking him the question saying, hey, you know, actually what God is saying is, Satan, I know where you've been. And I know what you've been up to. How, how do we know that? Well, look at Satan snooping around Job's life. Verse 9. And Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? See, see, God, the first thing is, that man fears you. Well, how does Satan know that Job fears God? He's trying to get to him, hasn't he? He says, oh, he fears God. Oh, but, but why does he fear God? He's trying to figure this thing out. And then in the very next verse, uh, has thou not made a hedge about him? Well, how does he know that? How does Satan know there's a hedge of protection around Job? He's been snooping around there trying to get to him, trying to get through that hedge, but he can't get to him. Has thou not made a hedge of protection around him and his house and all that he has and on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. God, I can't get to him. Yes, I've been snooping around. It's a rhetorical question. Satan, I know what you've been doing. I know, what, I know where you've been, right? I guess, I guess the question is, has, has Satan been snooping around your house? Right? So, so all those who, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer a measure of persecution. Remember Peter, Luke chapter 22? Peter went through some sifting, right? And you've got to love Luke 22 for our sake, it's for our strength that God gives us these wonderful passages of Scripture that explain some things to us. 
Why Peter? You bring down Peter, and you can affect the Lord's church, maybe, right? In his mind, you are Peter. You are that, that rock, that stone, if you will. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to see if you like wheat. And you know, Peter could have said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what about all these? And it, well, it's not about them. Right now, Peter, it's about you. And, and the greatest answer uh, came from Jesus that, that is an answer that also comes to us. And that great answer is found in the very next verse. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. Right? And in John 17, what did Jesus do for us? I prayed for you. So when you say, I don't know if I can do it, church, I'll say, look, Jesus' prayers are not ineffective. I know you can do it because Jesus prayed for you. And then Jesus talks about the outcome. You see, Jesus didn't just pray, but he understood and believed in his prayer, right? That there would be success in the heart or the life of Peter. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you once you have returned, again, strengthen your brothers. I want you to take the things you've been through, your, your struggle, and I want you to turn that into a positive blessing for everybody. Right? And, then, and then they'll take theirs, and they'll bring a positive blessing into your life. Right? And so through our suffering, it just makes us stronger, church. Revelation chapter 12. And we don't all go through the same things, but we go through similar things. And yet there are some who are going through the exact same things that I'm going through in my life. And then there are some who are going through the exact same things that you're going through in your life. And then there are things in your life I don't even understand. There are things in my life that you won't understand. But together we are an amazing force for Jesus. Why the suffering? Well, because we became the enemies of the world once we became the enemies of Satan. Revelation 12 and verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because the blood... Wait, how often does he accuse us? <laughs> He's always accusing us, right? He's always accusing... He's a tattletale. You know, right? He's always accusing us. And the blood of Jesus is always vindicating us. Isn't that beautiful? Right? And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. And so godliness is a blessing. It's a war that we enter into against Satan. And we suffer. But we gladly suffer. Because at least it's with purpose, right? John chapter 17. Suffering is being like Jesus. When, when you decide to come to Jesus, you walk away from this old broken, torn up world and you, and you come to the master. And when you come to the master, the master says, I've got you in the hollow of my hands. And we're willing to suffer for Jesus because God gives us something that the world really truly doesn't have. A purpose. Right? 
You, you can see the end. You can see the forest through the trees because you see the hope and the glory of God. You see the greatness of God through suffering. And through suffering, it makes us stronger, doesn't it? it makes us stronger. And in John 17 and, and verse 12, speaking of Jesus, praying for us, while I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. See, the, the, more, the more that we become godly, the less that we fit in with this world. The godlier we become, the less that we fit in. And the world hates, they hate people that are different. Maybe it's jealousy or whatever it may be, but they don't like that. And partially is they want to be like us, but, but maybe they're not strong enough. Or whatever it is going on in their mind, I don't know. But, but I know that they want to be like us. Everybody loves good. Everyone loves good as long as it's going toward them. Right. Verse 13 says, I do not ask them, this, this, this is the verse, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We have this, this mental destination. We know where we're going, right? We know where we're, we're, we're in this relationship with the Lord, and we stay with the Lord. And God blesses us. John 15 and the verse is 20. Uh, the Bible says there, Remember the word that I said to you, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Speaking to the apostles. But, but God is saying there's a difference between us and them. You know, there really truly is in us and them. Right? Christians and the world. And it's not necessarily Christians versus the world. It's we're just different from the world. And as a result of that, there's persecution that comes with it. And, and why the persecution? Well, Jesus said, because they persecuted me, your master, they'll also persecute you. Well, we're kind of going against the grain, right? Matthew uh, chapter um, 7, please. We're going against the grain. We're going against against culture, right? As Christians, we are, we're almost, if you will, we're counter-culture, aren't we? We don't change with the culture. We, we have this, this, this way of living that is a stable, because it's stable because it's, it's founded upon the foundation of the apostles and Jesus, Jesus being the cornerstone. I mean, we've, we're, we're, we're standing strong and firm because of our Lord. And, and the world is it's on, on, on sifting sand, and they're building their houses, and the Bible speaks of it in, in, in Matthew 7, that when the, when, the, when the floods come and the winds come, it, it destroys their house. They have to keep rebuilding. But we are standing on that solid rock. But it also means that we're going against the grain, against the flow of the world. We're, we're going in the opposite direction. And reality is this. We're going the right way, and they're going the wrong way. But it feels sometimes like 
Maybe I'm going the wrong way because everyone else is going that way. And, and that's what Matthew 7 speaks to. In verse 14, it kind of gives us some, some direction as it's a reminder. Uh, if, for the gate is small and the, the way is narrow that leads to life and few of those who find it, right? It, it, few find that, that narrow gate. And then, there's that, and then there's that broad gate, right? The easy one, you can just, you can stumble on the, you can't stumble into the church. But it's easy to stumble into the world, right? So we're going a, against the grain, if you will. We're standing against the world. And, and Satan brings these false prophets. Uh, chapter 15, beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are, are ravenous wolves. And Satan's bringing people in saying, hey, you guys are going the wrong way. And you go, well, wait a minute. Um, maybe I am going the wrong, in the wrong direction because, yes, everybody. Remember when you were a, a teenager? Oh, come on, Mom. Everyone's going to be there. <laughs> Spoke in hyperbolic statements, right? And, and we know that was never really true. But it kind of feels that way in our relationship, like everybody's going, so why shouldn't I go? Am I going the wrong way? Am I on the wrong team? Am I going in the wrong direction? Uh, First Peter chapter 4, there comes this, this surprise and this, this unpopular promise that, that there is this level of persecution that comes our way. It comes to the child of God. But there's this element of surprise. The world, the world doesn't really understand us. Right? If we're living godly, they don't really understand us. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. In other words, hey, you think you're better than me. Why aren't you doing the things that we're doing? Right? You think you're better than me. And I, I'm not saying I'm better. I just, we, I don't live that way. Well, why don't you live? They don't understand, and they're surprised that anyone could have fun not living this in this ungodly way. And then they're surprised at what we're doing and what we're saying and how we're living. And so they turn it on us and they and they malign us and they and they persecute us. And, and sadly, you know what happens is that a lot of us start thinking about this and start thinking about that Broadway and going, you know, it's a lot easier to just join them. Right? Because, well, I mean, everybody's going that way. And at least when I go that way, they're, they're, the persecution goes away. But the reality is, is that when you go that way, when you forsake the Lord for that way, you, you begin to miss out on something. And that is, you miss out on the true reality of life. And the true reality is this. When we become Christians, I'm going to Matthew chapter 5. And all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. And we make the choice to do the will of God, even though it feels lonely. And even though we, we struggle a little bit. We win. I mean, right? I, I, I mean, you're, we're struggling victoriously. Right? I mean, if you're going to run in a race... Uh, you know, I, I, I don't run marathons. I never have, and I'm telling you right now, probably never will. I have no desire to run a marathon. Um, but anyway, nothing against those who run marathons. But look, it's a struggle. 
26 miles, right? You break it down in, I mean, increments of eight or whatever you do in your mind, right? I was told you break it down, you know. I'm like, why are you telling me this? I'm never going to, but that's okay. <laughs> they wanted me to know. I'm like, I don't really care. You know? <laughs> I'm surprised you'd even do that. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, there's struggle in it all of the way, right? And, and so if you're going to run in this marathon, which this is a relationship with the Lord, right? We play chess, not checkers, right? We're, we're, in, this, we're in the long game. It, it, there's a process. And through the process, there's struggle. But the struggle is beneficial because it's the struggle that's getting you to the end. Right? No one can run in a race without getting tired, without, without having to remind himself that I'm in it to win it, right? To focus and then lose your focus and then refocus. And that's what we do as God's people. And so as we're living for Jesus, it, there's some struggle in it. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to struggle a little bit through this race. But you're the, you're the people inside the re- arena Right? There's this fan, uh, excuse me, stand of, 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 you know, angelic realm, if you will, or whatever it is that God speaks of in Hebrews chapter 12. And they're cheering us on. They're saying, you win. You're in the arena. If you're running a marathon, you're on the road for a long time. But when you get in the arena, boy, everybody starts cheering you on, right? That's when it feels great. And yet that's when the greatest struggle is there because you're almost at the end. And so here we are struggling, but we're doing it victoriously. And the way God tells us is that we're not racing against each other, but we are in this race. And each one of us that crosses the finish line wins. And so here are the fans in the stands cheering us on and saying, don't forget, God has given you whatever you need to make it to the end. Just keep on going. Keep on digging. Remember when I was in the world of sports and they would say, leave it all in the race or all in the ring or whatever it is, right? Give everything you've got until you cross that finish line. And that's what we're supposed to see. What we're supposed to see is not all the things around us, but rather we're supposed to look at the finish line. And then don't look at the finish line. Look through the finish line because you got to go through it, not to it, right? you got to go through it. And so we win. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, regarding persecution, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So now, now you've got to understand this now. Now, you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, not because you did something wrong. Right? Not because you, right? Not that. But here we are. Because of the sake of righteousness, we're persecuted for theirs is. Look at that. Here's the, I'm going through the finish line, for there is the promise. There is the blessing of heaven. There is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you. But Lord, it hurts. I know, right? I know it hurts, but you're running, you're running a race. And, and so the, it hurts. Your muscles hurt. And you start, you ever done something what you haven't done for a while? Or maybe you've never done it before. And you say, man, I, I, I hurt in places I didn't even know I had muscles, right? You ever done that? You ever, you ever swam a really long distance and then you, you say, I, I hurt everywhere. You ever been there? Yes. Right? And so, so look, it does hurt a little bit. I mean, maybe it hurts a lot, but, but now you know you have those muscles and you can strengthen those muscles. And now you're ready for the next thing that's going to come your way. And so we're being persecuted along the way. There are insults along the way. There's a persecution along the way. And there's even all kinds of evil that comes upon us. And it's false evil, right? They're accusing us falsely, something we didn't even do. But it's all on account of Jesus. Look, look at the verse. Verse what, 11? 
Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil uh, against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. This isn't, this isn't new. You're not the only one going through. Everyone, 1 Timothy chapter 6, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Because that's what it's all about, right? It's all about struggle. Good struggle, right? It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Right? You, ever, you, know, you ever train and you say, you know, it, this, this hurts, you know, but, I, but after a while, you realize it doesn't hurt like that anymore, right? And then you can go faster and longer and you're stronger and, and all the things that need to happen begin to, but it took, it took some, some, some struggle to get to that point. And so they're living in Christ, it, it, though their struggle, it's building us up for whatever's going to come tomorrow. So when Satan comes tomorrow, don't worry about it because tomorrow I'm stronger, you know that, that battle in Ephesians 6? You know, put on your armor. You know, it's hard, it's hard to carry that armor, right? You know, you're in the military and you put on bulletproof vests and that, that's heavy stuff when you're carrying your pack and you say, I don't even want to carry this stuff. After you've carried it for a while, you're stronger, right? When you put on the, the shield of faith and when you do the things that God asks you to do, you become stronger. In Ephesians, or 1 Timothy rather, chapter 6 and verse 11, listen to what it says. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which you will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. I like that. You can't lose with the King of kings, right? I mean, we've won the race already. Yes, it comes with, it comes with a struggle. I mean, just think for just a moment, going back in, in, into some of the ancient times, if you will, and you're, you're King David, or one of the soldiers, I'm going to 2 Corinthians. Do you, do you know how, how, how many muscles it takes to carry a sword? And, and, then, and then to use that sword for, for battles on a, on a you know a one-on-one -on -one basis and then and then to wield to use and then the the, the forearm muscle that it takes and the shoulder muscles and and you fight through the day and the bible says oh yeah and they fought they went from one city to the next city and they kept we're studying Gideon right and he just kept on going and they were weary you know how painful that had to be but they were marching on toward the victory and, and so and so the text the text tells us I'm going to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, but I, I, just, I just want you to think about the victory, or chapter 4 rather, the victory that we have. And this is not going to be on your screen, but verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, right? 
per perplexed, but, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, we're, we're victorious. And what we have to do as God's people is keep our eyes on the prize, keep our eyes on the victory. See yourself finishing the race. You've already started the race. See yourself finishing the race. So what does God do for us? He does the very thing that we need, and that is this. He renews us every day. He gives us the strength to run the next mile, right? But he does it differently, right? When we think about the next mile, he gives us the strength to make the next step, to go through that mile, right? Keeping our eyes focused on God. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart, but our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. You, you know, think about losing heart. Think about you're, you're running, I'm going back to this marathon that I'm not interested in. But anyway, I'm going back to marathon, and, you, and, and you're thinking about the race, and you're in the race, and, and you're, you're at mile, the furthest I've ever gone, honestly, is, is eight of them, right? You're at mile eight, and, and then you've got to do some sprints at the end of that, and it's crazy. Anyway, you're at, and you're going, I, I don't know if I can, can, can I make it? I don't think I can do this. You ever been there before? I'm not sure I can make it through. And God says, look, I'm going to give you what you need to make it the next step, right? To make it the next mile. And you, you convince yourself that I can do this, and you run the next mile. And, and that's what it's all about. It's all about readjusting your thought process, right? And you can go the next mile. It's amazing what we're able to do because God gave us the blessing and the ability to do it. But now talk about these people who are persecuting me, casting all kinds of insults at me for the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, every day, I'm renewing you. And keep in mind, for these moments right now, they're just coming, they're just, they're just passing through. Verse uh, seven, 17, for momentary light afflictions, light affli in comparison, right? For momentary light afflictions, producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all. What do you compare heaven to? Far beyond all comparison. See, keep your mind at the end and, and see yourself going through it because there's no comparison. There's excitement and joy to win, to win the gold medal, right? To win the trophy. To, it's like, wow, I, I made it. I never thought I could. And, and here I am. And Jesus says, look, keep going. Keep, keep working at it. Don't give up. And these are momentary light afflictions. When it's over, it's over. And you'll never have to run this race again. Isn't that great? Right? And then he encourages us and says, while well, we looked, not at the things which are, are seen, verse 18, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, in tem are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, see yourself at the, at the end, church. Right? I'm running this race. Imagine this now. You run this race all of your life, and finally, you can see the finish line. Oh, what a feeling that is. And as you're getting there and you're close, and, and all you have is just a little, a little more to go, can you make it? And you realign your thoughts, and you get excited, and amazingly, you find this inner strength to go through the finish line. And that's what God does for us. There's an unpopular promise that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But in that promise is the blessing. 
And it's almost as if God is saying, listen, without the persecution, you won't make it. Because it's through the persecution that we find our blessings. And the blessings help us to get to the other side. Church, the beauty of of the persecution is that we have won, no matter what comes our way, we reign victorious. Remember when the text is being written. It's being written in a time, we're going to Revelation 2. It's being written in a time when the church is going through a really strong persecution. A very, very strong persecution persecution. And, and there's nothing they can do about it. The government's against them. The, 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 if you will, the, the Jews are against them. And the Christians are standing alone and, and they're having to follow these laws, these ungodly laws and, and rules. And they're, they're, so much there's unfair treatment. And yet God says, don't worry, you won. Right? You're already, you're already victorious. There's nothing that can stop you. And then in verse 10 comes that, that promise, that, that blessing. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, some, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. You may be tested. And you'll have tribulation. Ten days. And you might say, Lord, I, I, can, I can do this. I, all right, I'm going to go to prison maybe for the name of Jesus and, and, and it's going it's to last ten days. Maybe it's a season, right? It's going to last for just a little while and, and then I'll be released, right? But, but that's not the way that ends. It, it says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Endure to the end. When is the end going to come? I don't know. When it's going to come. I, I don't know. But just keep running for Jesus and accept this unpopular promise as the gift that God intends it to be. Something to give me strength to gain the victory at the end. We win. And then let me put it in the proper perspective. We've won. Right? You can't lose with Jesus. The lesson tonight is yours. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.